HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears here on Heritage Radio Network. We're on tour. We're broadcasting live from the Le Creuset podcast studio at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash slash Charleston 2019 to see our full interview schedule. You can tell that I've had some of the food and the wine already this morning. Uh, big thank you to Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible. Uh, sitting down right now to talk with Nate Collier from Le Creuset, and I'm being joined by Katie from Heritage to also chime in with questions uh, about Le Creuset and color and design. Thanks, Nate. So happy to be here. Love to talk about this stuff. Love to see people enjoying food and wine. Love yeah. to be with people that enjoy food and wine. So let's do it. So Le Creuset is known for and has been known for almost 100 years, right, mm-hmm. uh, I- of having brightly colored enamel cast iron. That's really like that – you guys do other things now. You do stoneware. Right. And you've had some other types of cast iron pots and pans. But really, like the Dutch oven – in bright colors is like Le Creuset's signature. 100%. That's our that's our core product. It's our core brand equity. It's what you know we always talk about and link back to and believe in. Um, since 1925, so 94 years uh, in the same village in uh, northeastern France, Frenois Le Grand. In fact, closer to the Belgian border than Paris. Right. Um, company was started by uh, a Belgian gentleman and a French gentleman, so an enameling expert and a cast iron expert came together to fuse their knowledge, a collaboration, as they would say, uh, in this day and age. Um, And they wanted to do color. And that was something new and different. It had never been done. We were the first to do it. And um, it it was something that, at the time, they didn't even know if they could do it. So it took a lot of research, the melting of the glass and the different minerals. Um, But they they nailed it after, I'm sure, a number of different tries. And uh, the first color was the iconic flame orange. And... Uh, the the enameling expert was watching the casting process over and over again, kind of thinking of what he wanted to do and watching the really bright orange molten cast iron that come out of the, the crucible. Ah. And then it cools to a darker orange as, as it cools in the mold. So that was the inspiration for the color, but also that gradient ombre effect was, was not... Uh, I mean, it was purposeful after he saw it, but it was right. the inspiration from the actual metal itself cooling. And so it oh, just, wow. it's such a cool story to hear that the inspiration for the color came from the metal yeah. itself at the end of the day. And now we've done over 200 colors since then, Not obviously not producing all of them right. uh, now, but um, 
it's a constant inspiration to go back to that same story and find color in multiple different places. Right. I mean, back then, white was the only color. Right. And my understanding is that even before that, it was a huge, like, revolution in the cookware industry to have the white, you know, the iconic white enamel has black piping. Right. And then there was a company that did red piping. Right. And it was like this whole thing of, like, suddenly there was color, but it wasn't right. really. Right. It was white. And so Le Creuset comes along and then has introduced, you know, all of these other colors over the years. And what I think that does is you have people who both can collect a rainbow or collect a specific color. Absolutely And I think people do get very into a specific color that they love. People collect cobalt, or people collect red, or people collect white, or people collect black. Right. I mean, we, we hear that all the time. I mean, even just outside today at our, at our photo wall, talking to people about what colors they collect, you know, I, I don't know what the exact ratio is, but, you know, some of them are, I, I will only always have red. Right. And, you know, that's the, our biggest assortment. So I think people feel like, they feel comfortable knowing that they're always going to be able to buy something in that red color. Yeah. And then other people that want to mix and match. And we're even starting more and more now to encourage people to mix and match. Yeah. I do at home just because I own so many different colors. but. Sure. From a purposeful perspective, you think about your house or your kitchen, um, your walls might not be all the same color in every room, or the art that you hang on the walls is a different color, or the clothes that you wear are different colors together, and so people are used to it. We just want to give them that freedom and confidence to do that, too. I also feel like it can help you identify, right? Like, if you are someone who becomes sort of, you know, obsessed with Le Creuset, and many people are, you might have a five and a half quart and you might have a seven quart. And if you're looking at them from across the kitchen or or someone else is cooking in your kitchen and they say, which pond should I use? And you say the seven quart, they're not going to know what that means. Right. You might want to say, oh, that's the yellow one. Right. Right. Of course. And, you know, we we were a favorite for generations because people have this affinity for the brand and they pass it down to people, but also because it's a a personal statement. You know, just like you said, if you're a red person or a person that you know happens to wear an all-black wardrobe or whatever it is that's a personal statement and the the color that you choose in the kitchen is also a personal statement and we want to give people the freedom to to have that expression as well so what is the process for new colors is there one person at the company who is charged with deciding like we're going to make fig and this is going to be a color we're going to put out or is it a team effort how does it work so it is a team effort but it's also um you know we're a we are an international company we're we're, we're based in europe but the different subsidiaries operate autonomously and so being the biggest one in the u.s we drive a lot of that uh for the company but you know you get to choose market to market and you think about asia they have I think five or six different pinks and purples. Um, And so it's different what they think people are going to react to. And so we've gotten a lot more sophisticated with it in the U.S. from trend forecasting and and really pride ourselves on forecasting and not watching what's coming out and then trying to mimic that. Um, So we work with a couple different agencies. We work internally um, and we're about two years out. And so we... We look at cultural trends, at food trends, at obviously what gaps we might have in our yep. portfolio. Um, and then, you know, that is one part of it. And then we have to go back to the factory where there's chemists and, and color <laughs> right. engineers and that have to say, <laughs> have to be able to make no, it. there's no way you can make that color or it's going to take us a while to figure it out. You know, some of the colors, um, some of the purples, for example, when they put the enamel in the pot, they look um, like pale pink. But by the time you fire it and those minerals change in the oven, it comes out a brighter, vibrant purple. And they have to know how that is going to happen. There's everything from gold to um, different minerals and glasses and things like that in the the enamel. Um, So they have to validate it and make sure that we can make it as well. But um, it's become more of a statement for people. And so 
the new colors we have out now are a much more muted neutral palette and yeah. so we saw a need from cultural trends of a lot of noise in the marketplace and not just from products but from you know TV, media, digital, everything that, you know, we saw people reacting to more of a kind of a calming space. And so we took that inspiration to go with it. And and two years from now, we might be back on brighter, saturated primary colors, which we're known right. for. But uh, we like to we like to find that uh, inspiration in a number of different places. Nate, can you talk a little more about the science of like the, especially with the colors? I think this is fascinating. You don't have to explain the right. chemistry of, but how, like how, what does that team look like? How many, do you know like how many chemists are required to figure out like, can we do this color? Do the colors affect the price? And like how much innovation is happening in the enamel process itself? So the first answer to one of those questions is yes, the color affects the price. And it's mm. so funny because there's a number of different colors. One um, that we will be coming out with shortly, which is called Berry. Uh, I think it launches in May. Um, we've been working on it for years. And the only way to achieve this kind of bright, purpley, pinky color was to use gold. Wow. And it was just, it was too expensive. It wasn't working the right way. And finally we nailed it. But it is more expensive and we're not going to raise the price on that one particular pot but we do take that into consideration and the other part of that is you know from a food safety standpoint there's other minerals that you just you're not allowed to use in the formulation um, and so there's a team of chemists that do that but then also at the same time there's operational uh, engineers that have to make sure it work it's stable throughout the process as well um, so they start in very, very small batches and hand uh, enamel the stuff and put it through a test oven to see if it works, and then they'll go through a production process. Um, but it's it's so amazing to see. I've been to the factory a few times, and there's these giant machines that mix everything, whatever. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the enamel comes out in Rubbermaid, um, like, 50-gallon trash cans that get <laughs> dragged over to something else because they need to dip into it and make sure the viscosity works or whatever. Uh -huh. So it needs to be open right. for people to look at it. So. It's a huge process. Uh, it's and a giant is factory. Is there a safety testing process after absolutely, that too? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So they do that ahead of time internally, but we have to submit for, uh, in Germany, the LMGBH um, uh, standards are very high. And of course, California Prop 65 is important to adhere to. And then uh, food uh, safety standards as well. So yeah, that's all definitely tested internally. Are, are those labels that people should be looking for when they buy uh, enamelware or pottery you know I would say wear. yes you can look for them but honestly you you aren't able to list for sale if you don't meet those standards so I I mean I would feel confident that what people are selling at reputable retailers right now will fit those standards but yes on our website we we have all those disclaimers and everything up there for right. sure to see yeah you mentioned um you mentioned the other markets like Asia, and I remember, you know, I was in the housewares retail industry kind of right around when eBay started to become a thing, and people would come into our store and they'd say, can you get me a Lucrezia in pink? And I would say, what? What do you mean? No, it's not even in the catalog. What do you mean? And they'd say, well, somebody said they saw one, and then you start to look and like, oh, Japan has had pink lookerze for like 10 years and so now there's i feel like there must be this very interesting secondary market right. where people are trading those things around between markets where 50 years ago that didn't happen absolutely and of course just with digital access to information just knowing that those colors are out there yeah. is something else as well on social media you can see a lot of that but um 
it's really interesting the way that different markets try to protect their products and of course transshipping things across for pricing right. and so um, if you claim that it's not a new product then you're free to sell whatever you want on eBay but there are right. of course people out there claiming that it's new and and so yeah. we have a we do have a t we do have a team that's dedicated to making sure that people are authorized resellers selling our our product but uh, I think it's just m it's more inspiring for consumers to see what other markets have out there. Yeah. Because when they react to it, we can see that reaction, right. and we might want to bring the product in, or we just might want to have a conversation with them about why it's available in one place or yep. another place. So, it is something we have to keep up with. But I just feel like it just opens up the conversation to more and more people and more and more things at the end yeah. of the day. Same with food trends too. I mean, yeah. I would I would think the same about that. Well, and, and I want to talk a little bit. We've been talking a lot about color because right. that's Lucrezia's thing. I want to talk about the actual physical design right. of the of the pots and pans. So, you know, uh, I mean, there are some very famous old Lucrezia designs. You and I were talking about right. it yesterday. Raymond Lowy designed some really, what I think of as iconic, but maybe aren't iconic to like everybody out there who's walking into Williams Sonoma. But right. people in the design world—they're very iconic for cookware right. that you guys then did a re-release of at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Those those Lowy pieces are some of my favorite silhouettes for sure. And it's interesting because those definitely appeal to the people that appreciate the design. You you and I were talking about this too. It's like, yep. well, I don't want to cook in those. I want right. to put it on my wall <laughs> and look yep. at it. And that's what they were designed for as a design piece, um, whereas some of the other ones are more from a functional cooking standpoint. Totally. So, you know, the Loika Kel with the square corners and everything is, you know, might not be the best shape to like stir sure. something in, but yes. it's so cool to look at. Yeah. And so balancing those priorities is something that we do every day, making yeah. sure that it's delivering on the, on the cooking process that we claim, but at the same time, you know, even just the iconic silhouette of a Dutch oven, I find to be, you know, a beautiful piece in and of itself. Yeah. But it's super functional at the same yeah. time. And I think I, I think I told you I, I lamented the now not really readily available in the U.S. market combo cooker right. that is both a saucepan and a small skillet. Um, but I think you had a little news about that piece. Yeah, and those are pieces that we bring back in and out of the market with different retailers sometimes. Um, and so the, those you should be able to find out there. But the multifunction for somebody that's buying their first piece or lives in an apartment yep. in Manhattan or something like that where they need to save space is amazing because yeah. it's still, we, we make sure it functions as a lid to lock in the moisture and heat from the top, but you can pop it off and use it as a, I think it's a 10 and a quarter inch skillet. Right. Um, and it's amazing. And I think it's, you know, we need to realize, and we, we talked about this for our, our summer um, uh, communications plan this year is that not everybody's summer looks like a backyard barbecue in the suburbs with 50 huh. people grilling in the backyard. It's yeah. just, it's not, that's not the case where there's a lot of people that entertain in the summer in their apartment with three or four people, or they cook it inside and take it to a park. And so knowing that there's different usage occasions and different um, ideals out there yeah. is, you know, you have to be cognizant of that as well. I want to take a second, as we are doing live radio, to introduce a very special surprise drop-in guest. We have the lovely Ellen Bennett, Hedley and Bennett here. Hey. hey, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so excited. I was like, oh, I'm fully crashing this yes. podcast. <laughs> this is going down right here, right now. Right now. <laughs> I'm doing this with a big ass smile on my right. face. Um, well, we were talking about color, and you're the queen of color. Yeah, indeed. So I we, heard uh, it was about color, which yeah. is why the door <laughs> felt wide open totally. to let me jump in. Yeah. I, and by the way, for those of the, you that can't see us, we are definitely rocking some That's Charleston right. situation right. here. I see florals. I see light blue. Pale I got blues. some stripes. Yeah. Yesterday, I was wearing seersucker like a boss. Right. 
Come on. As you do in Charleston. Yeah. And just like to fully throw it out there, I I have like four Le Creuset Dutch ovens in my house, all color. Yeah. And we rock them so hard. So and much. are you a matching color collector? I mean, I know the answer to this. But you know, talk about what, how you choose your colors. I, everything Roy G. Biv for days. Okay, and for those of you that don't know what Roy G. Biv is, red, yellow, orange, green, blue, violet, I think is in there somewhere. Yeah. Red, yellow, orange, green, blue. Indigo, uh, violet. Indigo, violet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I always skip the last two um, because I don't really love those right. colors. So in my <laughs> mind, I kind of delete them. <laughs> I'm like, and thank and you, Roy G. Biv. No, but my favorite piece that I have is my yellow Dutch oven mm. from La Crusade because it matches my stove. I have a yellow stove, and it's just real cool. I love that. And I've, I've been to um, see Ellen out at their space in Los Angeles, and that's what their space looks like. It's just full-on rainbow. It's so mm-hmm. awesome. And so we're a natural fit together. But now I have to ask, so is a seersucker apron in the works after you were wearing seersucker? Oh, you know, I'm <laughs> feeling really inspired while being in Charleston. People are like, did you get that in Charleston? I'm like, Mm-mm. No. I was just trying to get on brand right. for coming to Charleston. <laughs> No, it's so. So I think that the the color, uh, the rainbow discussion. Actually, I have a question of whether or not Le Creuset would ever do mixed color pots. Because I've always thought about switching lids, like trading with someone, so you could have a blue pot with a yellow lid and a yellow pot with a blue lid. I have suggested doing a dip. I'm like, what if we did a tonal colored? Yeah. yeah, like so, a rainbow bagel, like, but in a little no, 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 a, unico- like, a unicorn total, bagel. Like, dark, like red, and then right. light red. You guys so have done a gradation we, one. Yeah, which yeah is we cool. have. We have talked about that, and I'll say a few different things. I think one, um, we did try a color blocking thing where the base and the lid you could choose, and unfortunately, like a lot of things, logistically, it was too hard for us to pull yeah. off. So we partnered with one retailer, and then found out. We couldn't do like choose your own, so it was a white base and then choose your lid, and it just it didn't really live up to what we thought it sure. should be. Right, the customer experience Correct. was impossible. And so I think we, we we still want to do that whole customization thing, and yeah. we're working on ways to do it. And a, another piece of that is at our factory in Frenois, the same color lab that does the hand things to test them, um, we're trying to roll out a Latelier program where they will do those and then sell them as one-offs mm. where it's legitimately oh, cool. like artistic one-of-a-kind type pieces where you might not be able to choose it but you know there's nothing else out there that yeah. looks like it and so we're constantly trying to push the envelope just the same way that Hedley and Bennett is yeah. a- as well um, logistically sometimes it's just hard to hard to pull off at scale um, when you're you know making molten cast iron at the end of the day so Nate what about you at home What's your color? uh, I'm all over the place. So years ago, I'll say this. My first piece that I got was my dad gave it to me, and it was 31 years ago probably, off-white. I think it was a crate and barrel that he got on his uh, wedding registry. Wait, is that what inspired that new collection that just came out? No, that was more of a cultural trend thing, but uh, it looks very similar, especially after how long that we used it. Um, Before I started working, cobalt blue was what uh, I collected and now I've got flame Caribbean I love the matte textured collection um, you know what I just got anything and everything I'm not red fan. though I'm not a huge red fan this is very important I just got your guys little grill situation oh, yeah. and then I got one it has the grill lines yeah. but a long one right. and then I got got it at William Sonoma uh, it was flat the griddle the griddle what, am I, what the hell that is so cool it's yeah. like a I mean it's like a plancha that are so popular in restaurants now you yes. you I mean, searing on that, I'll do that all day long before I turn the grill on outside. Just the texture that it gives well, is amazing. And if you have a plancha that's like built into your crazy wolf 
stove right. or whatever. I do it not. It is such a pain <laughs> to clean. Yep. You're trying to like get all the little edges of oil out the corners. And it's such a pain. This is awesome. You just throw it in the washer or you know your sink. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can deal with that. Plus, it has a little ring of color around the edge. Thank yeah. you very much. One of my favorite wedding gifts that we got was a like a hundred plus year old cast iron griddle. Oh, and wow. it's perfect. It fits on two burners of my reasonably modern gas stove, um, you know, apartment dweller. So it's really small. I lean it up behind the stove when I'm not using it. But I'm like, wh why did this go away? I'm so glad you were bringing it back. Well, now I have to ask, who gave it to you? Where did it come from? <laughs> okay, Where okay. They find it? Is it uh, flea market find? My uncle sells antique postcards at flea okay. markets. Oh, and his so next good. door neighbor is the cast iron guy. Okay. Antique wow. cast iron guy. Wow. So that's, that's how I got the hookup. So it wasn't from him. Who no. I heard collects yes, sorts I, of cast iron. Yes, a lot, okay. lot of old, lot of old cast, including right. some very early right. Lucrezé. Right. Um, I have some very, very early, probably 1930s. Uh, I think they called them a fish pan, oh, but it's more ones, like a yeah. gratin right. style, like baker. Really but it has really cool filigree like right. at the ends. They're very pointy, right. and they come up almost like the prow of a ship. Right. And a shallow uh, lip on the yes. side, yeah, 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 those yeah. Are shallow awesome. lip on the side. I right. mean, those are those are very cool. So, I mean, I you know, I feel like it's only what six years out. Like, what are the plans for the hundredth anniversary? Uh, interesting. We'll keep those under wraps, but we definitely will Heritage do radio we'll definitely live from the factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> yes, please, absolutely. And of there's course. video streaming yes. too. <laughs> There'll be a lot of background noise there, which is fun to hear actually. And the smells and everything going to that factory is amazing. But invitations wide open. What just does it smell that. like? It smells like what you think um, burning sand and burning metal would smell like. And so, like cool. the black sand molds are all one of a kind. So they're compressed at super, super high pressure into the molds. The cast iron goes in. When it goes in, it burns some of that sand, and you can wow. I mean, you can smell it. And you're supposed to wear glasses and hard hat and boots and jacket and mask. Not It's not enforced. Um, there's different safety <laughs> regulations over there than there are here. Um, this might be a dumb question, right. but does burning sand make glass? Um, yes, but not this particular type of sand okay. is, is made for to be able to withstand the temperatures of the cast iron that goes in. And then when they pull them out, the mold is broken and crumbled back into sand, and we recycle it and turn it into another one. So it's cool. used once. Yeah, I was going to actually say, yeah. I mean, for people who are cool. listening who don't understand the process, the, the process of casting iron is one that is incredibly labor-intensive. Absolutely. And it's not like stamping out parts where you can just take a die and make a thousand of them. You have to make a new mold for every, every single piece of cast iron. Every, every time, and it's broken apart there, and then 15 different people touch it from that all, process yeah. all the way through the end, from cleaning the sand off to grinding it to polishing it, four different coats of enamel, put through the oven, inspected, and everything. And, and it's been done that way right. since 1925. Now, right. some of the process is automated, especially the pouring the molten metal in, but... When it first started, literally a long stick with a, a pitcher on the end basically was dipped into the cast iron and hand walked over to the mold and hand poured into the mold and they moved on to the next one. Um, and so it's it's the same process. It's right. been more automated since then, but it's um, it's crazy to see at that scale. Yeah, and it's elemental, right? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about iron, you're talking about silica, you're talking about forming glass. Yeah. Like it's not... You know, it, it is not uh, high technology, but it is something people are using every single day. Absolutely. And we've gotten smarter about it over the years, but it's it's the same it's the same thing. And the fact that you have some from the 30s, which are, you know, five or six years old after the, the foundry was opened is, uh, 
it's very and they cool. look and they're still perfect. Very cool. I mean, I can cook yeah. in them now, and they're still totally usable. And you know, I, hopefully, my great grandchildren will right. have them. You know, I, I kind of like the old yeah. school ones even more because it has character. It's got some war wounds. You know, yeah. Yeah. we bought these little cottages in Echo Park uh, last year, and when we were going through all the cabinets, we found three. Super, no super way. I love school it. Le Creuset pans. Like Amazing. The little one, a medium one, like a skillet. And I was like, oh, hell yes. I love it. Took those home. They're amazing. <laughs> right. They're my favorite. Now they're right. hanging right. above I, my I love kitchen. it. And, and so people, number one question always is, how do I clean it? How do I clean it? How do I clean it? And I'll tell people how to clean it. But I also tell them, like, it doesn't need to look brand yeah. new. Like, it looks... If you love it and you cook in it all the time, yes. like it's okay to have it's like a burnt grease on like the got side all the little and patina edges. in yeah. there. Absolutely. It's yeah. like if you really use it, you know, then you want to show that you love it and use it. And I, I love when people keep it like that. Same. I still have to answer that question and I always will, but you know. Okay, soap and, so how soap, do you clean soap it? And water. <laughs> soap and water. Just soap and water? I mean, it's, it's, dishwa- pad, it's dishwasher like, safe, which I don't put mine in only because yeah. I have two young girls at home and the dishwasher is yeah. full enough as it is. But, right. Um, Hot water, soap, and a scrubby sponge. Um, you don't want to use steel wool on it, but any, I mean, it's scour pad safe. Um, and if you do get anything stuck, like real stuck on it, uh, baking soda, a little bit of water, bring it to a simmer, turn it off, and let it sit overnight, and it will lift everything right off the That's enamel. a good tip. Absolutely. Yeah, Wait, did you just say tip. bagel? Baking soda. Oh, I was like, bagel, bagel. soda, water. Yes. <laughs> That's odd. <Yeah. laughs> Who baking knew? soda. Just pull out your bagel soda yeah, water. Yeah, totally. <laughs> bagel soda. Got it. Okay. Baking soda. I'm going to invent that, by the way, if nobody has. <laughs> oh, sounds delicious. <laughs> so, so now there's a whole stoneware line, right? So people can have other things that match cake stands, serving pieces, uh, even uh, pepper mills, salt shakers, those kinds of things. Yeah, and, you know, we, we try to, you know, stick true to our heritage of color. And so that's the stoneware came from that where... It's, it's not made in the same factory, but it's used the same glazing process and the same enamel colors to use. Um, still very functional, and it's a growing line for us. We've expanded to utensils, and now I've stainless steel and nonstick cookware as well. But I mean, You as guys you, have the best garlic presses. They are great. And I, st- I think our nonstick line is, I, sh- I don't know if I should admit that I use that all the time at home, but it's <laughs> some of the best nonstick cookware out there. Um, but... As you said in the beginning, our, our our brown Dutch ovens are the core of the brand. They always will be. It's what any communications or anything we talk about is always going to relate back to that because that's what people know. That's what they love. That's what they have memories of. Um, and we want to own that. Can I tell you something great I did last year with your Dutch ovens? Uh, for my, I just got married. And Congratulations. I ha- thank you. And I wanted to give something really special to my bridesmaids and bridesman who is hosting the James I Beard Awards it. this year, Jesse Tyler. And I gave each of them a Dutch oven. I love it. And inside the Dutch oven, I gave them my favorite spices. My we cr- we made these like custom pot holders. We gave them my favorite skincare products. And so everyone got their box. They opened it up. They opened the pot, and there was more there. stuff inside the pot. And they each got to choose their own color. So I had the entire rainbow spectrum. I love it. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. I love That's it. A great I got to share those photos with I you. I hope you like have pictures of it. Priceless. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to lie. They're amazing. <laughs> Did you have one for yourself? Well, I have like three or four at home. And then at the factory, we have these like shelves of behind our yes. kitchen that we built. So did you give everyone covered. the same color coordinated no, with the I wedding? No, I let them choose. I love it. Yes. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? It had to be a rainbow. It. it. was red and purple, and, but it was awesome. Jenny from Jenny's Ice Cream was right. one of my bridesmaids. She got one. Daniela from Atla got another one. I mean, I was hawking right. 
hawking some Le Creuset. Hardcore. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's awesome. Well, this was great. Ellen, thank you so much. Thanks for, for letting me in. pop super in, guys. Fun. Always good to see thank you. Thank you, Nate. Of course. For giving us a little, you know, a view into the, the mind of Le Creuset Absolutely. and how the colors and how the design works. And Katie, thank you so much for, for joining me as well. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for having us. This was so much fun. Thank you to Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour possible here at Charleston Wine and Food. I'm Harry Rosenblum from Heritage Radio Network. My show, Feast Your Ears, is on every Monday. HRN is a member-supported nonprofit based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to over 10,000 episodes of food radio podcasts and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.